morning, everyone. It's a great joy to be together and to worship together. Uh, today, um, I begin a new series of messages based on the book of Colossians. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I'll open them up to the book of Colossians. Um, I always remember the order of the book of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians with an acrostic. You know, it could be go eat popcorn, um, you know, G-E-P-E. Um, I've been at this for a long time. I still need those things. Where's Colossians? And like, oh, yeah, go eat popcorn. And so uh, while you're finding the book of Colossians, let's pray together. Father in heaven, now we, we are just rejoicing in the truths that we've been singing today, that you indeed are alive, that you've risen from the dead We thank you that you are our king and that we can worship you in great confidence. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher now as we open up a study of the letter that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the group of believers in the uh, Ephesian Valley, uh, the Colossi, uh, Colossian Church. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would use uh, this morning to help us to think about the implications of the gospel as we approach the culture in which we live. So to that end, I pray that you would protect us from anything that is not from you. But what is from you, may we have ears to hear and apply it to our lives personally as well as to our church. In Jesus' name, amen. The Christian life in a post-Christian culture. What do I mean by post-Christian? Well, let me give some introductory comments on what I would suggest post-Christian means. A generation ago, we might have considered our culture significantly influenced by Christian values and ethics. I remember when I was in high school, our music and drama department combined together for a Christmas pageant that we opened up for the community and our auditorium that sat about 900 people would be filled for five performances of our Christmas pageant. This Christmas pageant featured an antiphonal choir. I mean, you know, 40 kids on this side of the stage and 40 on this side of the stage with a manger scene in the middle. And this antiphonal choir memorized the Christmas story. They memorized the, God, the, the prophecy of Isaiah. And they did the Isaiah prophecies, all of them. Our God with us, the King of Kings, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And they antiphonally went forward, back and forth. And when it came time for the angel to pronounce, uh, make the announcement to Mary of the uh, uh, conception of Jesus, uh, there was an angel that, was, uh, that slid across the top above the stage. It was my sister. I remember. And she was in this harness, and she came out, and she was above, and then they quoted the Christ. It was really cool. I mean, and this was, of course, just accepted. This was a community-wide thing that everyone looked forward to this year. It represented our culture. In 1972, nine out of ten Americans believed in God and belonged to some organized religious group calling themselves Christian. But in the early 1990s, this trend changed. 
And by 2016, the number of people who did not identify with any religious ideology grew to one in four. One in four, no religion. As we transitioned to a culture that was moderately biblically literate to significantly biblically illiterate, we experience that today. I have some friends who live in a duplex uh, community in the La Crosse area. And at Christmas time, they invited some of their neighbors into their home for a Christmas tea. <laughs> and one of the children who came went up to their mantle and they saw the manger scene and they said, what's this? And he said, well, that's the manger scene of the birth of Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? And he started right from the very beginning and taught those children the Christmas story. And it appeared to him that that was the first time they had ever heard it. What happened? I had a conversation with a man on an airplane uh, a few years ago, and I'll never forget this. Uh, I was flying to the Detroit area, and as the plane landed, the guy sitting next to me, I said, well, are, are, are you from Detroit? And he says, no. I'm, I live in Chicago. I'm coming here for a funeral. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, uh, what, what church did you go to? He says, oh, he said, I, I don't go to church, but I'm very spiritual. And that's where our culture is today. We think of religion in our culture as spirituality. No particular brand of spirituality, just spiritual. And this trend is captivating those who I might, who, who writers describe as de-churched people. That is, people who used to come to church, whose families, they grow up in church, but they've disconnected from church. They are de-churched. They are now cooling off towards things of the gospel. Two centuries ago, the French culture watcher Alexis de Tocqueville came to America and he declared, this is the most religious nation in the world. And today, 25% of our culture is unchurched, dechurched, no church. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, our beloved Green Bay Packers quarterback, was recently interviewed by his girlfriend, Danica Patrick, on her podcast. And she asked him, maybe some of you have seen this. It's on the, You can watch it. It's online. And she asked him about his church, his religion. He said, well, you know, I grew up in the church and I was very active in my youth group. And then during the week, I'd go to Young Life. And I really thought Young Life was really good. And I, I really enjoyed identifying myself in my Christian church. But I left it all behind because I realized that Christianity is a binary faith. Binary, what does that mean? It means this an either or. You're either Christian or you're non-Christian. There is light and dark. And to Aaron Rodgers, the most difficult aspect was heaven and hell. Now, those who think along these lines espouse to be really open-minded non-judgmental, all-inclusive. That's where our culture is today. But this philosophy of rejecting binary thinking 
really falls victim on its own ideas. Because when one denies that they are, that they um, deny all binary thinking, they binarily reject binary thinking, thus becoming binary. It's a self-defeating philosophy, as all postmodern philosophy is on that level. But let's give Aaron Rodgers the benefit of the doubt. I think what he's really trying to do is he's just trying to be sensitive. He's trying to fit spirituality into our culture that has enveloped itself in this spirituality. The unfortunate, at least from my perspective, reality though is that this type of thinking for Aaron Rodgers or anybody is playing cultural roulette with their eternal destiny. Even more troubling is the unintentional consequence described in a recent article in the Atlantic magazine, which is far from an evangelical (laughs) publication. And what they describe is something that is happening within the local church. This this non-binary thinking has become part of our theology. And here's here's what this author says. Although belief in God is no panacea for these problems, religion is more than a theism. It's a bundle. A theory of the world, a community, a social identity, a means of finding peace and purpose and a weekly routine. Those like me who have largely rejected this package deal often find themselves shopping a la carte for meaning and community and routine to fill a faith-shaped void. Their politics is a religion. Their work is a religion. And not looking at their phone for several consecutive hours is a Sabbath. (laughs) They're called the nuns. What is your religious affiliation? None. None. And here's his conclusion. American nuns may well build successful secular systems of belief, purpose, and community. But imagine what a devout believer might think. Millions of Americans have abandoned their religion only to recreate it everywhere they look, even in the church. We recreate it in the church, and herein is the problem. The post-Christian culture in which we now live is invading established evangelical churches and is attempting to reinvent the faith into the post-Christian image, rejecting biblical binary truth of sin and salvation heaven, and hell. God is a servant to make our personal comfort, um, removal of anything that might cause discomfort, anxiety, 
into a quest for personal fulfillment, meaning, and self-worth in the vision of this all-inclusive culture. And God is our servant to make this happen. Everyone eventually, of course, according to this group, this thinking, will go to heaven. And God's job is to make the journey there as easy as possible. This has infiltrated the church. This is the way church people are starting to think. And that's exactly what was happening to the Colossian church in Paul's day. We're going to find a letter written to a church struggling with exactly these issues. Exactly these issues. We're going to find that there was a popular approach to religion that was challenging the Colossian believers. These issues were spiritual in nature. The simple gospel was fine, but it wasn't enough. (laughs) There had to be more deeper spiritual experiences, we'll see. Hollow and deceptive philosophy was creeping in and Paul confronted it in this letter. Really sounds familiar to me. And finally, there was an effort to downplay the person of Jesus Christ. Boy, do we see that in our culture today? Oh, he's just a nice moral teacher. It's exactly what was going on to the Colossian church. And Paul reminds us in the Colossian church of the exalted nature of the Lord Jesus. And we'll spend an entire sermon talking about what I think is one of the most significant passages outlining who is Jesus from the book of Colossians. And by the way, there are many religious groups that are founded on the founder's ideas, like Buddhism. Buddhism is founded on the ideas that this person discovered. And as he discovered these ideas, he began to live them and teach them and promote him. Thus comes Buddhism. How different Christianity is today. Because we are not living our faith on the principles that Jesus discovered We are not living our faith and building our lives on the information and the teaching of Jesus Christ. We are building our lives on the person of Jesus Christ himself. The one who was incarnated, took upon human flesh. The one who lived a perfect life who sacrificed his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven, and who now sits on the Father's throne and who sent his Spirit to live within us so that we have a personal relationship with a person. Not just his teachings, but his person lives in us. Totally unique from any faith man has ever invented. Boy, is that different. Our culture needs to know that and understand it. And Paul said, listen, 
Let me help you understand who this Jesus is. And he does it in the book of Colossians. So in the midst of the challenges that this church was facing, and as we realize that the same issues they were facing are the issues we are facing, what does the Apostle Paul do? I would suggest to you that what he does is gives us an assignment. And here's our assignment. Live an authentic Christian life in the midst of the influences of a post-Christian culture. That's our assignment. And this letter will help us to do that. Not a nominal Christian life, name only. Not a marginal Christian life, Sundays, Christmas, Easter. Not a melting pot Christian life where Christianity is just part of my worldview. It's just one of the factors that I consider as I live my life. Not a secret Christian life that nobody would know I was a Christian if they were to look at my life. But an authentic life. An authentic life where there is evidence from our behavior, yes, I follow Jesus. That there is fruit that builds up others in their faith. And that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. And from verse 3 in chapter 1, it appears that the Colossians were well on their way to fulfilling their assignment. Look at verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Boy, that's an affirmation. They're doing well. And I would suggest that they would be an example for us to follow. And so we find three specific areas, or three or four of them, that that specifically um, they're doing well that would be good for us to emulate from their example and thus fulfill our assignment. First, verse 4, live an active Christ-centered fellowship with one another. Verse 4 says, Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. That's what they're doing well. We've heard of it. And Paul says, I commend you for it. And it's an example for us. Love for all the saints. Notice the all. This is not just happen. <laughs> it's intentional. Something that we have to work at, like we were saying in the book of, of Ephesians, as I suggested to you. Maintain, work hard at being a church. But it's Christ-centered. It's faith in Jesus. Context of this lifestyle, again, is Jesus. There's joy in our relationship with him. There's trust in him during times of suffering and uncertainty. There's perseverance. There is, there is a, a life in Christ that we live. And as we do that, that brings our fellowship together as we have that life in common. What drives this Christ-centered fellowship? What's the energy behind that? Well, that's found in the second point. Priority given to our treasure in heaven, verse 5. 
and the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Paul talks about faith and love that springs up. See that in the text? That springs up. Paul talks about faith and love that are the result of something and because of something. And what is that something? Our treasure in heaven. We have not only a common fellowship in Christ, but we have the hope of a treasure in heaven. And because of our treasure in heaven, it springs up hope. Our assurance is that this hope is not an emotional or circumstantial hope. First Peter tells us, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. And that faith and love is what springs up from that hope. What do we do with the political quagmire in our culture? Isn't it something to live through these days? What do we do with that? Where's our hope? It's not in who's in power in Washington, D.C. Our hope is in our treasure in heaven. And that, from that springs forth love and fellowship. Do we have a fear of death? No, we don't have a fear of death because our treasure is in heaven. See, that hope is a common hope with fellow believers and that promotes Christ-centered fellowship. Third, where does this priority of hope in heaven come from? It comes from our commitment to the truth found in the binary gospel. <laughs> the gospel of grace that recognizes that apart from Jesus Christ, there's no hope. In Jesus Christ, there is a certain hope. It's the gospel of grace. <coughs> Excuse me. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is God's gift that no one can boast. And it's a faith of truth. The truth that Jesus Christ actually lived, died, was risen from the dead, Send it in heaven. It's the truth. And the truth of transformation of the human heart founded in our justification and manifested in our sanctification. The truth of heaven and hell. The truth of a righteous judge that will determine which place we will spend eternity. And then we celebrate the power of the gospel. It's fellowship, there's, there's truth, there's the gospel, and we celebrate. Verse 6, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just it is, as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. What do we celebrate about this gospel? Well, it bears fruit. It actually changes people. <laughs> That's really cool. It actually brings people from spiritual death to spiritual life. It changes lives. It gives peace. It gives hope. 
It promotes faith and love. And then it grows. We talked about that last week. It grows. These verbs, um, bear fruit and grow, are in the continuous present tense. They continue to bear fruit. They continue to grow. When the gospel was first brought to Colossae, it began to produce fruit and grow. And Paul says, and is seen all over the world, the fruit of this gospel. So this is our assignment, to live an authentic Christian life, Christian fellowship, our treasure in heaven, the power of the gospel, moving forward and growing. Let me give us a couple of practical um applications from this. One, Christ-centered fellowship is best nurtured in a growing and maturing local church. We spent three weeks talking about that. The local church has its flaws, ours included, but it still remains by far the best place for transformation and meaningful relationships. Like our potluck hymn sing tonight. What a wonderful opportunity to come together and to grow together and experience fellowship. Second, the priority of our treasure in heaven is best modeled through sacrificial love on earth. What do I mean by that? Well, who are the people who are most willing to sacrifice on this earth? Who are the people who are most willing to give of their material resources to the gospel? Who are the people who are most willing to work in the church and deny themselves maybe a vacation, or it's the people whose treasure is in heaven. If we understand our treasure in heaven and really believe that, we will model serving on this earth. It's best modeled through serving and sacrifice. And third, the truth of the gospel is best promoted when we experience it ourselves and then share it with others and watch it accomplish its power in their lives. It's got to start with us. And so every month we participate in a ceremony, in a worship experience whereby we are strengthened, whereby we are enriched when we think about this gospel, when we think about this person, Jesus, not only his teachings, which are important, but most importantly, the person himself, Jesus, and where we celebrate what he did on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, giving us the promise of a hope in heaven, and then an opportunity for us to renew our faith, to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our commitment and experience in a worshipful experience the power of the gospel in a concentrated way whereby our faith is nourished and enriched. And you know what the last phrase of 1 Corinthians 11, the passage tells us? Every time we observe communion, we are declaring his death till he comes. We are declaring it to those around us. Experience it in our lives and then give it away. It happens in the worship of communion.
So I'd like to call our ushers forward, our worship team to come forward. As I pray, I pray that we would be we'd be really focused on the fact that you know, we're not playing games of spirituality here. We're not we're not just doing this to be cool. We're not doing this because our culture says, you know, it's really cool to be spiritual. We're doing this because of the reality of the historical person who is alive today and who lives in us. And we are bowing before him in worship and adoration. We have uh, elements that will be passed and the two elements are put together in two cups stacked so when you get the two cups just twist the top one separate the two there'll be bread in one juice in the other and please hold both until we give in, I give instructions and we'll partake together in remembrance of the Lord Jesus thank you Lord for this experience we have to be personally strengthened that we might live in authentic Christian life in this post-Christian culture. Please use this time to nourish us. We live not on bread alone. We live on the words, even the presence of the Lord Jesus as we take this communion. It's not a miraculous presence like some of our Christian friends think. It's a presence that is magnified because we are focusing, focusing and inviting and expecting, expecting that you'll speak to us in a fresh way as we hold these elements that remind us of the broken and bloody body of Jesus. So meet us in a special way today motivate us for life and good works. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Feel free to sing with us as you remain seated.